Let me encourage you uh, now to take your Bibles and turn with me to uh, the book of Jonah. Book of Jonah, we're continuing there. I uh, have one, uh, one more uh, message in Jonah. Next Sunday, uh, Kathy and I, Lord willing, uh, will be uh, taking a little bit of a vacation in Florida. Um, and uh, Dan will bring the word, Dan Hahn will bring the word next week, and then the week after it will be Bob, Bob Atkins. And uh, so I'll be praying for them as they prepare uh, to preach the word. For now, we're in Jonah chapter 3. Uh, 1 through 10 is where we are. Let's give our attention to God's word being read. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Let's pray. I'll ask for the Lord's help in this time. Father in heaven, we just sang, and, and it was a prayer that you would show us Christ. Reveal your glory through the preaching of your word. Father, you choose to do that through a mere man. This is a mystery. And yet you accomplish your work. And so we're asking, Father, we're asking that you do that even now. That you would uh, guide both proclaimer and work in the hearts and minds of hearers. Father, that we may see Christ. So we pray. Show us Christ. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Uh, computer operating systems are far more stable now, but it's still a possibility that, that things will happen to cause your system to slow down or crash. Often rebooting will solve the problem. And in layman's terms, the reset kind of flushes out bad instructions. That's misbehaving software. And it makes it possible for the correct instructions to be implemented so the computer will do what it's supposed to do. Why am I talking about this? Well, last week where we left in the text, the great fish had barfed Jonah out onto dry land. And you might say that Jonah got a reboot. He was reset. Now, at the beginning of this book, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, but his, his operating system, I guess, kind of got corrupted. And he went in the wrong direction away from the presence of the Lord. Now here in chapter three, we are told the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second 
time. And this time, he does what he is told. He does what he's told. And what Jonah is told is where to go and what to say. Jonah is given a message for these Ninevites we read about. And the result for the Ninevites is that they, that the disaster that had been told would come upon them, that judgment of God is averted. Now my aim this morning is to consider the nature and the, the substance of the message and what that means for all whom God intends to hear it. Now the Lord has a specific message for the Ninevites, but the Lord continues to speak today and he has a message for us. Well, let's look at this message. First of all, the thing, and I'll just, I'll, my points should be obvious as we move through here. First of all, I want you to see that the message is authoritative, it's authoritative. There are a lot of people that have advice. Uh, people will say things, make demands. Others will give warnings. But you know this. What we do with those messages has everything to do with the source. If the guy down the street tells me that I've got to cut my lawn on the diagonal, I can politely nod. If I feel like doing it, because it might look better, I can maybe do it. But if I don't feel like doing it, I don't have to, right? It's just advice. It's like, well, Take it or leave it. Now, if the police, on the other hand, I'm driving in my car, they're standing at, a, at, a, at an intersection telling me when I intended to, telling me I can't go down that street, I can't turn my car, I have to obey the warning. It, it's, it's not optional. We get it. The source of the message matters. And how much more if the content of that message deals with life and death? And that's what's at stake for the Ninevites. The Lord said to Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. An authoritative message has an intended audience. Go to Nineveh, that great city. Now, the Lord called Nineveh great. It's a great city. Now, it could certainly mean that that city was as it's described, three days' journey in breadth. That's a large city. It was said to be one of the largest cities, or probably the largest city at the time in the world. It's further described in verse 3 as exceedingly great. And here, this is interesting. In the Hebrew, the word Elohim, God or gods, is behind the word exceedingly. So when you see exceedingly, the word behind there is Elohim. That modifies great. So you could take it this way. And if you look at the footnote and if you've got a paper Bible, it could be rendered a great city to God. God thought that this was a great city. In God's mind, this is important. Now, regardless of the translation here, that the Lord had a specific message for them meant it was important that the Lord, to the Lord that they hear it. I mean, I know I'm stating the merely obvious. It isn't a, a general message just spoken out. God has a specific message for these Ninevites and he wanted them to hear it. And because he wanted them to hear it, they would not fail to hear it. That's important. Because the Lord wanted them to hear it, they would not fail to hear it. Jonah attempted to stop it, but the Lord divinely redirected him. We know what happened, right? 
I, I think we've all had that experience, right? Maybe an extended family dinner and you try to contribute something to the conversation, something that you think is important, and, and everybody's talking, and, and your words just kind of fall to the ground, right? That, that's, that's happened to me. It's like you, you speak, but nobody heard it. Now, no one will listen to you if you don't have the room. You gotta have the room. You gotta have, be in control of the room. And it's true as well. God does not speak hoping that someone, anyone will hear. God always has the room. His authoritative voice, it, it pierces through a cacophony of sounds. It pierces through all kinds of other voices and it will reach his intended audience because to God, it matters that they hear it. Intended audience, the authoritative message reaches the intended audience. But we see in the text as well that this authoritative message is given through an appointed messenger. The Lord said to Jonah, arise and go. Now, if we look back to the beginnings of our Bibles and, and we, we see how the story unfolds, we find in the beginning that God spoke directly to men. He spoke directly. He spoke to Adam. Remember, he was walking around the garden in the cool of the day. He spoke to Adam. Where are you? He spoke directly to Cain to rebuke him. Right? He spoke to Noah spoke to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob to set them apart. He spoke to them. They heard his voice. And he spoke to Moses. But, but when he called Moses, he made him a prophet. A prophet. The Hebrew word is nabi. That's simply a spokesman, somebody speaking for God. And what happened with Moses, the Lord put his word into Moses' mouth in order to instruct the Israelites. They weren't going to hear directly from the Lord. They were going to hear it from Moses. And from that point forward, it seems that God chose to speak to his intended audience through appointed messengers. Now, you might wonder, well, how could, a, how could we ensure, how could it be ensured that there would be a true prophet? And how would you distinguish the true prophet from the false one? Well, God's word made that rather simple too. A true prophet would actually still remain alive after he spoke. That was, that was how it worked. The way that God ensured that prophets were truthful and sent by him was to give this warning. The prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, here's what he says. That same prophet shall die. So a prophet who's speaking in the name of the Lord He's going to live because he's speaking the word of the Lord. A prophet who doesn't is going to die. Now, that's not to say that a prophet was not without his flaws. Right? Jonah is a prophet with flaws, but he was sent by the Lord. Now, I, we understand, I think, Jonah was sent to a people he probably hated or feared, or both. He tried to run away from that calling. And he was initially, you know, from the beginning of the story, certainly unwilling, but the Lord ensured, the Lord ensured that his messenger carried the message to the intended audience. God was going to speak through Jonah. That was a settled matter. Now, we know Moses tried to get out of his calling, right? If you recall from Exodus, he claimed to be slow of speech and tongue. But if you read that story, you know that the Lord did not take no for an answer. And Moses ultimately went before Pharaoh and communicated the Lord's demands. 
Now, if we think on the other side of it, without, without the Lord's calling and message, not that Jonah would do this, but if, but if he attempted to go to Nineveh and bring some kind of message, he would have been laughed out of the city or probably killed, right? But here's the point. Because the word of the Lord is authoritative, both the call on his messenger and the message itself are authoritative. Because the word of the Lord is authoritative, both that call on the messenger to go and the message itself are authoritative. And I think we can conclude from this, God can use any messenger he chooses and his word will be heard. Well, we also see that this authoritative message has timely content. Jonah was told to speak the message that I tell you. Now, we know the reason, we know the reason for the message, chapter one, verse one, for their evil has come up before me. So the Lord is concerned for the evil that has come up before him. Now, I don't believe we're given the entire content of what Jonah was to say. We only have this in verse four. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, initially when I studied this, I thought that's all Jonah said. It's like, 40 days, you're going to be overthrown. It's done. I suspect there was more to it. The evil that came up before the Lord demanded a response, and Jonah proclaimed the message. And I take it that it probably included the source. Yahweh is saying, the true God is saying. I'm a prophet of the true God. He is saying this. Your evil has come up before him yet 40 days. Again, I'm speculating here, but there had to be some other content to it because they turned to the Lord, right? Because the Lord knows the heart of all people, because he knew the hearts of the Ninevites, the divine word that they heard, it bored into their hearts. That word rang true to them, and they understood that their evil deeds were a deep offense to Almighty God. All the prophets, from Moses to Elijah to Malachi, the end of the Old Testament, to John the Baptist, they were mere men who had to hear the word from the Lord before they could speak. But through Moses, we come to understand that there would be a day when the Lord would promise another prophet a better and final prophet. I'll remind you what the Lord says through Moses, he says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, Deuteronomy 18, 15. Now, why do I mention that? Because there needed to be an authoritative voice unlike any other authoritative voice. You see, this prophet that was promised would not only speak the word of the Lord with authority, but he would also do so because he revealed himself to be the very word of God. So he would speak authoritatively the word of God, but because he would do that because he revealed himself to be the very word of God. This is how John the apostle introduced him. 
the beginning of the gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. No doubt, this is God. And later in 14 it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The authoritative Word of God spoken by the living Word of God. And because Jesus is the final prophet, he is the final prophet, there is no need for any additional word from the Lord. Hear me on that. There is no need for an additional word from the Lord. And I want to caution you when you see on the internet or, or in some churches, the, word, the Lord gave me a word and it's this or that, do this or that thing. You don't need to trust that. Somebody who claims to speak for God to do this or that thing, or the Lord told me this, the Lord called me to do this, and it's not in the Word, doubt it. Doubt it. Now, even in the New Testament, I don't want to confuse the matter because if you've read through your New Testament, you know that there was a prophet like Agabus, okay? He was give, given divine insight about future events like a famine, he was given divine insight about Paul's imprisonment, but it didn't change anything because he had nothing new to add to the word of Christ. What Christ had spoken and done, there was no new information. There are no longer any need for prophets to bring a new word from the Lord. Everything that, has, that needs to be said has been said by Christ and written down by the apostles. So now, what do we have? Instead of prophets, the Lord sets apart proclaimers forth tellers of the word, preachers. And here's another truth. Preachers have nothing new to say. And uh, if you ever hear me being particularly innovative, challenge me. If it's not in the book, you can just shut it out, okay? Well, fellow elders will hold me accountable too, but we're not supposed to be innovative. We're only supposed to tell you what the Word of God says. Preachers have nothing new to say. But here's what is true when someone preaches. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, it says in Romans 10. And so Paul asks the question, how then will they call on him who they have not believed? How are they to believe in him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? It's rhetorical. And how are they to preach unless they're sent? Because it's true. The content of preaching today matters just as much as it mattered that Jonah spoke the message from the Lord. Just as much matters today, the content of preaching. I'm thankful. I'm very thankful. It's not the case. Not here, anyway. But these days, many preachers have this Temptation to feel like they must please their hearers and tell them things that they want to hear, right? Things that make them feel good about themselves. Paul warned Timothy, and we read this together, but it bears repeating. Paul warned Timothy about a, a future time, and, 
And that time was in that generation not long after, and that time exists today. People will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. That happens today. And Paul, in his own ministry, guarded against that. Here's what he said to the, the Corinthians in first, his first letter, chapter 2. When I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's the message. That's the authoritative message. The Word about the Word who became flesh that is for this and every generation and when that message falls on the ears and enters the hearts of those that God desires to save, they will repent and turn to him in faith. May God keep me and all who would preach here. May he keep us faithful to that task. And may you, God's people, demand nothing less. Well, continuing on through our text here. For Nineveh, the message was urgent. It was urgent. Now, I think we all get this, but something urgent requires immediate or vigilant action or attention. You've got to do something right now. So, cancer diagnosis, that carries with it a sense of urgency. We need to do something. It might be life or death. But the thing is, you can't act if you don't know, right? An urgent message must be heard. The urgency of the situation must be heard. You cannot act if you do not know. Now, the people of Nineveh, we see, they were carrying on with their evil and violence. It was the order of the day. This is just how we do things. We, in fact, maybe they just kind of liked it. Those who did the evil and violence against, you know, they were quite satisfied with their evil and violence, it would seem. So why change? Why choose a different path? It wasn't a problem in, until they understood that there would be a divine consequence for the way that they had been living, Right? Once they received the message, they understood this was a, a life or death proposition and they were given a timeline. Yet 40 days. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That word overthrown, now as I was looking at this, that word overthrown, it, it does sound like the assurance of destruction. The, the word behind it, Hebrew, is halak. Not havoc, but it's different. It's not even related to the word havoc, so don't, don't make that connection. Havoc. It sounds like there's an assurance of destruction, but there's another sense to this word which astounded me. Another sense of the word is to turn around, to transform oneself, to change. So, is the message in 40 days Nineveh shall be destroyed? Or, in 40 days Nineveh shall turn around? Repent. Now, either way, whether judgment is declared or implied, God is being extraordinarily gracious here to give the warning in the first place. Because God is absolutely, completely, perfectly just. It says this in Exodus. By no means will he clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. God does not brush evil aside. He's going to deal with it. 
Psalm uh, 11, 7 says, The Lord is righteous. He loves justice, which means that he hates injustice. Hebrews 12, 29 says that God is a consuming fire. We've got to get the sense that sin and evil matter to God. He hates it, and he's going to deal with it. What we need to understand here, and and I think believers in Jesus, you know this, but it's worth revisiting. Essential to understanding the good news of God's mercy is acknowledging why we need it. Because if we think about it, you and I, we might want to hold ourselves in, in higher regard, but you and I essentially are no better than these Ninevites. So you might not be a murderer or a thief. You might not do violence as a way of life, but, but here's what it says in the Bible. If you've broken any part of the law, any part of it, James 2.10 says, you're guilty of transgressing all of it. So it's just, it's just a, a little lie. The full weight of the consequence of breaking the law comes down on you for one, just one transgression of the law. That's the holiness of God. That's the justice of God. And we do not fully understand the mercy of God unless we fully grasp the horror of coming under his judgment. There is no escape from God's justice apart from genuine repentance. I think the generation that we live in is not unlike Nineveh. But we shouldn't fool ourselves and keep looking outward. Apart from true repentance for our own sin and faith in Christ, there is no hope for anyone. And if you're watching in the live stream today or you've clicked on this by some strange divine accident. Hear me on this. Trust Christ or you will be condemned. So at the judgment, we're told it is appointed for man to die once. We get this. You're going to die. And after that comes the judgment. There it is. You're going to die. You're going to be judged. So at the judgment, you'll either stand on your own. You don't want to be there. Or you'll stand in Christ. And if you think somehow you can stand on your own, that ground will give way and you'll have nothing. But if you're standing on Christ, then it's because you know, you know in your heart of hearts that the sinless Son of God faced the full judgment of God, the Father on His cross. I was reminded of the hymn by Edward Mote. We sung this before. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean in Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. It's urgent. It's an urgent message. Well, finally, the message is powerful. The message is powerful. I say this, I say this often, but I, I think about this a lot. When I think of the difference between our words, our speaking, our human speech, the difference between what we say and God's speech, the gulf of separation is infinite. 
the difference is, is infinite. And it comes down to the simple concept, the simple idea, which is actualization. So to actualize is to cause to be. And we can be intentional with our words, right? But we only have limited power to back them up. So I can say to someone, I'll meet you at the restaurant 1130 Wednesday. Well, it's highly likely I'll be there. But we know it's not absolute. It isn't absolute, right? There's so many things that could derail that plan. I could get sick. My car might break down. And not to be morbid, I might die. I don't know when that's going to happen. But when God speaks, he actualizes. And you just have to look at the creation story, right? God said, let there be light. Now, now think about this. Did the light have any options here? Could the light not be? Could it decide? I, yeah, I'm not so sure. It doesn't even exist, right? God called something that wasn't into existence. It's impossible, right, to think that there is a way that God's word would not be heeded by the light. And that's true of everything that he says. God's words are the direction and the actualization of his limitless power. God's words, God, God's word is the direction and the actualization of his limitless power. Look what happened in Nineveh. The people of Nineveh believed God, verse 5. They put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. Now, donning sackcloth, I think you know this, is really an outward expression of grief and repentance. So they repented. And then when the word reached the king, he didn't hold himself above them, right? He, he took off his royal robes. He steps down from his place of authority and power, and he sits in the dust. He covers himself with sackcloth and, and sits in ashes, and he too repented. And then he proclaims a fast, and even the animals, I don't know if this is a hyperbole, even the animals were covered in sackcloth. I don't know how you do that. Either way, it was, it was like, we're all in here. This is repentance, and this is everyone, and nobody's excused. We need this if we're going to survive. We need to acknowledge our evil before Almighty God. This looks like true repentance. Now, the text tells us, verse 10, when God saw it, he relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them. Now, this was not a surprise to God. It's not a surprise to God. It was his intent. His word actualized his desire. The call to repentance brought repentance. That's the power of his word. Because God is sovereign, because he's all-knowing, because he's all-powerful, all-wise, he decided, he just simply decided that he was going to be merciful to the Ninevites. He didn't wipe them out like he wiped out Noah's generation. He didn't wipe them out like he wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah. He just simply chose, I'm going to be merciful. And he sent them a message and they repented just as he planned. And God had determined all along that he would relent, but they needed to hear it. And it's interesting, when, when in the belly of that great fish, Jonah was was thinking about his circumstances. Again, it's, I'm still on the fence as to whether he was genuine, genuinely repentant before the Lord, but setting that aside, he states something so, so very true, that salvation is from the Lord. We see that at the uh, verse nine of chapter two. Salvation is from, salvation belongs to the Lord. That's what he said having been now sent to these Ninevites, 
he would discover that God's salvation is actualized through his word. So he knows where it comes from and now knows how it happens. It's the word of the Lord. It's the very nature of God's word to accomplish his will through it. So if God's gonna bring someone to the place of repentance and faith in Christ, it will be here, it will be through hearing the word of God. That's how it happens. And we look at the gospel, this, this good news about Jesus Christ. And we're told in, in Romans 1, 16, that it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. This gospel is the power. It's what I've been saying. Declaring this about Jesus is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And that power, it's singular. There isn't any other thing. There's no, no information, no technique that can move a soul from a trajectory to hell to one who hopes in eternal life. There's nothing apart from the gospel that can do that. It is the power of God. Have confidence in this message. Have confidence in the gospel. Now, and not just the, the specific details about Jesus when we say in the gospel, but, but the whole collection of, of, of scriptures, right? These 66 books we have in our Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, God has breathed these out, right? These sacred writings, he tells Timothy, are able, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy, they're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And these same God-breathed scriptures we understand in our lives today, brothers and sisters, they are useful. They are profitable. They are effectual in the lives of those whom God has saved. And what do they do for us? They teach. They rebuke. They correct. They train us in righteousness. So if you're a child of God, you may be equipped for every good work. This is the power of the word of God. When you hear the word of God and believe the word of God, your life will change. You will be equipped for every good work. Don't doubt it. Give yourself to the word of God. When you hear it taught, when you open your Bible to read it, give yourself to it. Submit to it. Decide that as soon as you're gonna hear, you know God's gonna work something in you. It's the power of the word. It's unlike any other book or collective, uh, collection of writings. Hebrews says it's living and active. I love this verse. Sharper than any two-edged sword. And here's the illustration. A double-edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. And discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Do you hear that? The word of God. You know, we read any other book. We read it. <laughs> but when we come under the word of God, it reads us. It, it, it's unlike anything else. So expect it to do that. Expect it to do that. Now, when that truth gripped me, that the nature of the word of God, I, I gotta say, I, I found it so very liberating. In my early ministry, experience and training, I was so consumed 
with, with searching for the best examples and ministry techniques. And, and so many of those in the books that I read were just marketing ideas, finding ways to appeal to the felt needs of people. And essentially, they were, they were attempts to capitalize on consumeristic appetites by, by sanitizing and, and, and churchifying the latest cultural trends. And I thank God that I was an absolute failure at doing that, or else it would have taken me a really long time before understanding this one truth. God's work is accomplished through God's word. Not cleverness, not techniques, not marketing. God's work is accomplished through God's word. And that doesn't mean we, we shouldn't try to find ways to get the word of God to a, an audience that might not be hearing. That's what the missionary endeavor is. And maybe if there's a way that we can reach our community, but at the end of the day, it is going to be the word of God that changes hearts of people. We're not gonna be able to cajole, cajole or market or twist an arm of anybody to get them into the kingdom of God, but when they hear the word of God, because it's powerful, those whom God has determined to save will be saved. Be confident in the word of God. And it has to be that way, doesn't it? It has to be that God's word accomplishes all of this, right? That way he gets all the credit. You want to stand before the Lord's time to go, Look, look at my numbers. I feel like, like a sales guy. The Lord asking and say, I used to be in sales. Guy, sales manager coming to my house. How are your numbers? How are your numbers? Jesus isn't going to ask us. How are your numbers? He's going to say, Look at my numbers. They're his numbers. With Christ as a focus, we who are entrusted with the stewardship of leadership, we must give our attention to doing our best to present ourselves to God. Awana kids, you know this. Correctly handling the word of truth. And when we gather to sing, when we gather to pray, teach, preach, in all of that, when we hear the word, we need to be confident that God will work out his will in our lives, saving and empowering our growth in faith and service. The Lord's message for the Ninevites, it was authoritative, it was urgent, it was powerful, and they repented. But as Jesus said about this very book of Jonah, something greater than Jonah is what's on display. The gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, it's authoritative. It's the message from God about Christ for us. We're the intended audience. And it's urgent because rejecting it leads to condemnation. And because it's from God, it is powerful to save. And praise God that it is because you and I are here this morning in Christ because we heard the word of the Lord and believed. And may we, as God's people, continue to take in the word of God and let it permeate our lives such that God's will is accomplished in us to the glory of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's an amazing thing, this book that we get to open and we have the freedom to do all the time. And we, knew, we know that the, it's the words in these books that we have so easy access to that are inspired, breathed out by you. We thank you for that, the authority of that message to, to reach our ears and our hearts, the urgency that was communicated to us about our need for a savior. 
or else face your judgment, Father. And recognizing that the power of that word in our lives is everything. So God, as your people, we pray, keep us faithful. Faithful to hear, faithful to continue to speak it. Faithful, because you are faithful through it. We pray this for the glory of Jesus. Amen.